dismiss our kids to Kids Church. As the ankle biters are making their way out, you can turn your Bibles to the book of Samuel. Uh, by now, your Bibles should flop open to the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, we have been uh, studying, walking through the book of 1 Samuel uh, since Easter. Uh, and so we're about six months in, uh, not quite six months in, uh, about four or five months into the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, and so we are, uh, we are neck deep into Samuel where we are beginning the, the reign of Saul. Uh, God has anointed Samuel. Uh, Samuel has prophesied and anointed a king. Uh, and now we begin the reign of King Saul, the first monarchy uh, in the nation of Israel. Uh, pretty soon, the reign of Saul will give way to the reign of David, uh, and we will begin uh, to we'll continue to walk through uh, the story of the book of First Samuel, the narrative here. So, First Samuel, chapter eleven. We're going to read all of chapter eleven, verses one through fifteen. Uh, it's a it's a fairly lengthy passage, so I'm going to go quickly. Uh, as I go quickly, uh, just the the texts are going to be up on the. Uh, the texts are going to be up on the screen. Uh, I encourage you uh, every Sunday after, as we walk through the passages, uh, there are many times whenever I'll read very, very quickly through these passages, uh, but I want to remind us that the Word of God is not a newspaper. It's not to be read like we read the Sunday Times. Uh, we should study it. We should meditate on it. We should uh, allow the Word of God to penetrate our hearts and to pen penetrate our minds. And so I encourage you every Sunday after, after we get done uh, uh, reading and studying God's Word, to go back and, and reread uh, and meditate on God's Word uh, and let His Word speak to your heart. So 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. Now Nahash the Ammonite came up and besieged Jabesh-Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, I will make, with, I will make it with you on this condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you, thus I will make it a reproach on all of Israel. And the elders of Jabesh said to him, Let us alone for seven days, that we may send messengers throughout the territory of Israel. Then if there is no one to deliver us, we will come out to you. And the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, and spoke these words in hearing of the people, and all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind his oxen. And he said, what is the matter with the people? Why do they weep? So that they related to him the words of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God came upon Saul mightily when he heard these words, and he became very angry. And he took a yoke of oxen and cut them into pieces and sent them throughout the territories of Israel by the hand of messengers, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. So the dread of the Lord fell upon all the people, and they came out as one man. And he numbered them in, in Bezek, and the sons of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said to the messengers who had come, Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you shall have deliverance. So the messengers went and told the men of Jabesh, and they were very glad. And then the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will come out to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. And it happened the next morning that Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp at the, morning, at the morning watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. 
And it came about that those who survived were scattered so that not two of them were left together. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is he that shall Saul, who is he that said Saul shall reign over us? Bring these men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has accomplished deliverance in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, and let us go to Gilgal, and renew the kingdom there. So the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And they offered sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you speak to your people. We thank you that you use your word to speak to our hearts. Lord, this morning may we see Jesus. May we see him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. May we see him in the book of Samuel. May we see him in your King Saul. May we see him in your deliverance. God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My prayer today is as you leave, that you will see hope in the midst of despair. That you will see triumph come out of tragedy. And every one of us, without exception, have experienced dark days in our lives. For many of us, those days are are, uh, a very recent memory. For many of us, those days are where, where just last year, where we were sitting in flooded homes or in a flooded church. For many of us, there are those who, who remember in recent memory sitting in a, in a hospital room saying goodbye to your loved ones. For many of you, it was, it was you know, the, the, the death and, and, and destruction of, of that which was sacred to you, that which, which, which you held dear. Many of us, all of us, without exception, have experienced despair, tragedy in one way, shape, or form in our lives. And my prayer today is that we would see triumph out of tragedy. Well, I want to back up at the beginning of chapter 11. And I want us to understand that that at the end of chapter 10, God has just publicly anointed Saul. And so there is an excitement, there is a newness for the people of Israel. We all remember what it was like on the first day of school. Your mom would... Mom or dad would take us to the mall or to Walmart or wherever it was, and we would get, we would get new shoes, and, 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 and we would get new clothes. And you know, you know, the, the jeans didn't have holes in the knees just yet. You know, they would in about two weeks, but, but at this point they didn't. And we all remember what it was like. You know, we'd go walking up and down the aisles, and, and, and mom would spring for the, the trapper keeper. Uh, you know, for, for, for those of you who are younger than 30, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, but, but there were these binders, there were these binders uh, that, that had all kind of pockets and compartments for your pens and your markers and your whiteout and all the stuff that, 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 that you would need. And, and we, we were excited and, and we got these, these trapper keepers and these binders and these notebooks. And we started out the year and we said, you know what, I'm going to do all of my homework every day. And I'm going to take all my books home, and I'm going to study hard. And that lasted all of about three hours. And then, and then you, you, you got to school, and you started hanging out with your friends. And all of a sudden, you weren't excited to be at school anymore. You were excited to be with your friends, and recess was there. And all of a sudden, you really didn't care about your trapper keeper anymore. But, but, but there was a newness. There was a newness to the first day of school. 
There was a newness. And, and it's not just the first day of school, the first day at a new job. Uh, maybe maybe the, the first day you move into a new city or a new town. Anytime there is something new, there is an excitement. There is a, a freshness. There is a hope that comes with new. Maybe it's the new home. Maybe it's the new car. There is a hope. There is a fresh. There's an excitement that comes with new. And this is where Israel was. There had been a king that had been anointed. They were crying out to God. They said, God, give us a king so that we will be like all the other nations. And God gave them a king. And this was a king who stood head and shoulders above everybody else. He was bigger, taller, stronger, better looking. He was a king like all the other nations. And they were excited and there was a, a, a freshness and an expectancy to this king. And then Nahash shows up. The Ammonites show up. And his, his reputation had preceded him. If you notice in the text, as soon as Nahash shows up, the Israelites begin to knuckle under. As soon as Nahash shows up, they begin to say, don't kill us, don't destroy us, let us be your servants. Look at the text. He doesn't even have to threaten them. He doesn't even have to threaten them. Verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 1. Now Nahash the Ammonite came up and besieged Jabesh Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, make a covenant with us and we'll be your, we'll be your servants. We'll serve you. All he does is show up in town. And they begin to say, Look, look, don't kill us. We will serve you. We will, we will bow to you. We will be your servants. Their expectancy, their hope vanished just that quickly. Israel was haunted by failures from the past. By past sin, by past idolatry by past failures, by past oppression. Israel was a people who knew slavery, who knew oppression. Israel was a people who during the reign of the judges, city after city, village after village, would suffer under the hands of the Midianites, under the hands of the Gibeonites, under the hands of, the, uh, of, of all of the people of Canaan. Even though God had brought Joshua and, and dispossessed the Canaanites from the land, because of, the, because of the, the disobedience of the people, the partial obedience, there were people that remained in the land of Canaan that continued to oppress and continued to, to, to be the hands of the enemy and to bring about oppression and, and slavery to the people of Israel. And they were people that were all too acquainted with oppression. I want to go, ask you to go with me, if you will, to verse 4. And I want to point something out to you that, that, that does not create in you and I the same emotion that it would have created in the people of Israel. Verse 4. Then the messenger came to Gibeah. The messenger came to Gibeah. Now, for you and I, that means nothing. But to the nation of Israel, it meant something very distinct because Gibeah was a city that was associated with a very, very dark time in the, in the history of Israel. There was a time and a period in the nation of Israel where, where a great atrocity and a great violation on, on, very, on, on the very essence of humanity 
that had taken place in the city of Gibeah. And we're going to go to that in just a few seconds. But I want to point out to you, I want to show you some of the, a, a parallel. For us in the, in, in, the United Nation, in the United Nations, for us in the United States, uh, there are a couple of dates and a couple of events that, that trigger emotional responses within, a, within all of us. If I were to say to you, December 7th, 1941, is a day that will live in infamy. Why? Because on that day, Pearl Harbor was attacked by the Japanese. And especially for those generations that have gone before us, December 7th, Pearl Harbor, those, that date, those, those words, the today is a day that will live in infamy, those, those thoughts, and that, that creates an emotional response within us. Whenever I say Pearl Harbor, it means something to you and I because we are Americans. Because that is, that is the day whenever our very freedom was threatened. Whenever you hear JFK, you hear November 22nd, 1963. Whenever you see the Zapruder film, whenever you hear Lee Harvey Oswald, for many of you, you remember exactly where you were when you got the news that John F. Kennedy had been assassinated. You, there is an emotional response whenever you hear Lee Harvey Oswald, when you hear the Book Depository Building, when you hear Dallas, Texas. There is an emotional response because something very tragic and very horrific happened on that day. When I say September 11th, and you see the images of the Twin Towers, and you see images of first responders running into the building and you see the images of of ash and dust covered people running from new york city when you see images of the pentagon when you see images of that field in pennsylvania there is an emotional response by us why because on september 11 2001 our very freedom was attacked our very way of life was attacked for many of you for many of you, whenever, whenever we hear Hurricane Katrina, or Hurricane Gustav, or Hurricane Rita, whenever you've experienced that, it is a very emotional response. That was Israel with the city of Gibeah. And I want to explain to you why. I'm, 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 I'm going back to the text, and I promise we'll end up in 1 Samuel chapter 11. But I want you to understand why Gibeah was so important and why Gibeah had such a reaction for the people of Israel. Now, when I told my wife that I was going to, uh, 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 I was excited about this message and I was sharing, my, sharing with my wife, she said, I can't believe you're going to say that in church. How are you? And, uh, you know, this is, this is a horrific story. And it is. It's absolutely horrific. But I think it's important for us to understand that the Bible God's word, God's word is true, it is right, and when we rightly divide God's word, spirit-anointed preaching compromises no truth, it avoids no subject, and it fears no reaction. God's word does not avoid the ugly parts in Israel's history. 
We know what happened with Judah and Tamar. We know what happened with Sodom and Gomorrah. We know what happened with Lot's wife. We know all of the ugly, tragic, uh, uh, the, the, the reality of the, the putridness of sin. And it is documented in God's Word. God doesn't hide from sin. God's Word doesn't, doesn't mince words. God's Word doesn't sugarcoat what, what the, the history of Israel's redemption. It highlights the glory of Christ. But I want us to understand what Israel would have, would have associated with the, the emotional connection that they would have had with the city of Gibeah. I'm going to paraphrase this story for you so that you understand. In the book of Judges, in the book of Judges chapter 19, we see a story where a Levite is traveling and he ends up in the city of Gibeah. And he is, he is welcomed into the city of Gibeah by a man uh, who, is, who is originally from Ephraim, and he is living there in Gibeah, and he shows him great hospitality, and he brings in, he, he brings in the, the, the Levite, and he brings in his concubine, and he feeds them, and he takes care of them, and there's this, this, this moment of, of, of hospitality, and they're sharing a meal, and they're enjoying the night, and it's, it, it's just like it would be if, if you had a visitor come into your home, and you get that sense in the text. And then all of a sudden, the text is interrupted by, by, the scripture tells, worthless fellows, is the words that the scripture used. Men of Gibeah who are pounding on the door and hurling themselves at the door. And, and all of the ruckus and all of the, the turmoil, they hear these words. Bring this man out, this guest in your home, that we may have relations with him. They are beating on the door and they are begging for this man that they may sodomize him, that they may, that they may ravage him, that they may rape him. And this is happening in, in the city of Israel. And the host and the, the Levite are scared to death and, and, and they don't know what to do. And the, Levite, the, the host, very well, he can't turn his guest outside. So what they do, as, as tragic as it is and as, as, as putrid as it is, is they give these men... Outside the door, they give them his daughter and his concubine, and they give them outside, and they say, they say, take them, not us. And the scripture tells us that, that all night they ravage and they beat and they abuse these women. And the next morning, as they go out, they see his concubine on the threshold of the door, begging to come in, yet she's died. And the Levite takes her, cuts her body up into 12 pieces and sends her throughout all 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And that begins a civil war which almost destroys the tribe of Benjamin. And so when Israel would hear Gibeah, That's what would come to their mind. Immorality. Sexual idolatry. Sodomy. Sin of the, the grossest, most heinous acts. Gibeah represented for Israel a very dark, 
And so, when the messenger comes to Gibeah, where guess who is living? Saul, the king of Israel. I don't believe that the, the readers, the audience of Samuel's book is having much hope when they see that, that the messengers were sent to Gibeah because Gibeah was a place of despair. Gibeah was a place of hopelessness. Gibeah was a place for Israel that, that was similar to Pearl Harbor, to 9-11, that was similar to this very dark, this very desperate place for Israel. But I want you to know, I want you to understand what God does. For the Israelites, the mere mentioning of Gibeah would bring to mind the depravity of that day. But God is going to redefine for Israel what Gibeah meant. So here's the question I have for you, church. As we look at the text, as we go back to the book of 1 Samuel, Are you haunted by the past? Are you haunted by by what has happened in your life? Are you you haunted by by decisions that that you made? Are you haunted by by things that impacted your life? Are you haunted by, by decisions that other people made that affected you? Are you haunted by these emotional traumas in your life whether they be big t trauma whether it's abuse whether it's addiction whether it's 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 tragic tragedy in your life or whether it's it's little t traumas whether it's 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 just bad decision after bad decision after bad decision that has led you to this place in your life and and there is there's turmoil and there's tragedy and 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 you don't know what's going to happen and you're in a place of despair and hopelessness i believe that for many of us we find ourselves right where Israel was. That there was, that there was a period in our life where, where the past brought, to, brought us to a place of despair, brought us to a place of tragedy, and God right now, today, wants to redefine that moment in your life. He wants to say, you know what? Your life does not have to be defined by the bad decisions that were made years and years ago. Your life does not have to be defined by what happened to you or, or what circumstance or what environment you, were, you experienced at a certain time in your life. That does not have to define you because God is in the business of turning tragedy into triumph. That's who He is. That's what He does. God is going to redefine Gibeah for Israel. For Israel... Gibeah had been a source of shame. Could you imagine if you were an Israelite? Somebody mentions, we're coming to visit. Oh, really? Where are you going? Oh, we're going to pass through Gibeah. Say, don't, don't, don't go to Gibeah. Nothing, nothing good ever happens in Gibeah. For Israel brought about shame. Embarrassment, tragedy. Look at the text. First Samuel chapter 11. Saul was coming from the field behind his oxen. Verse 5, Saul was coming from the field behind his oxen. And he said, what's the matter? He sees the people weeping. He sees the people crying. He says, what is the matter with the people that they weep? So they related to him the words of the men of Jabesh. 
Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul mightily when he heard the words, and he became very angry. And if the nation, if the city of Gibeah did not remind Israel immediately about that tragic event, what Saul does in the next verse, what Saul does in verse 7, certainly would. Because he takes his oxen, and what does he do? He carves them up, and he sends them to the twelve tribes. In the very same manner that the Levite did in Judges chapter 19. Do you see the parallel, church? This, was, this is not a stretch. This is not, well, yeah, I can see how, how, how you're getting it. He takes these oxen up and he cuts them into 12 pieces and he sends them to the tribes of Israel. Only one other time has that happened in Scripture, and that's in Judges chapter 19. He reminds them of the tragic events of, the, of, the nation, of what happened in the nation of Israel in the city of Gideon. And he said, I'm going to redefine this for you. The Spirit of God comes upon Saul. And the Scripture tells us in verse 6 that the Spirit of God came upon Saul. And the verbiage there in chapter in verse 6 is the very same verbs that's used in the book of Judges when the Spirit of God came upon, uh, came upon Samson. And it came upon rushing upon him. And he was able to destroy a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. The Spirit of God came upon Saul. And when the Spirit of God came upon Saul, I want us to understand the text that the Spirit of God delivered Israel. The Spirit of God replaced their tragedy with triumph. It was not Saul, and Saul understood that. Look at what he says in verse, look at what he says at the end in verse, uh, in verse 13. Saul said, no man shall be put to death this day, for the Lord has accomplished deliverance in Israel. Even Saul understood that his part and his role in this was minimal. It was the Spirit of God that redefined Gibeah, that redefined this moment, this place in Israel's history. God wants to redefine your failure today. He wants to redefine your darkness. He wants to redefine your tragedy As we look through the history of redemption, while the day of Gibeah, the city of Gibeah and what took place there was indeed a dark day, there would be a darker day in the nation of Israel. Fast forward about 1,500 years. First John, I'm sorry, John chapter 1. The scripture says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we look at verse 14, and it said, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory, glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. And in John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist saw Jesus descending the hill, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the scripture tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, and that as Jesus began His ministry, that He preached and He taught, and He expounded the Word of God in such a way that, that the chief priests and the teachers were confounded by His wisdom. The Scripture tells us in Luke that, that even as a young child, that Jesus confounded the, the, the chief teachers in Israel. And not only did He teach 
with authority and wisdom, but the scripture tells us that he was able to heal the sick, that the blind would see, that the lame would walk, that he would take five loaves of bread and two fish and feed 5,000 people, that he would cast out demons, that there was a man who had been possessed not by one demon, by two demons, but by a whole legion of demons, and they were chains draped off of his arms because nothing could, could contain him. And as Jesus entered into this, to this city where this man was roaming, he cast these demons out. And they come in and they see this man sitting within his right mind. They say, who has this authority? Even Jesus' disciples, when Jesus is on the boat and he, he is in the midst of the storm and Jesus stands up on the bow of the boat as the waves are crashing and the storm is beating the boat and Jesus says to the storm, be still, and it becomes calm. His disciples look around and they say, what kind of man is this? The scripture tells us what kind of man this is. He's God incarnate. He's God in the flesh. He heals the sick. He heals the lame. He gives sight to the blind. He opens the mouth of the dumb. He casts out demons. The winds and the rain obey His command. And this Jesus, this Messiah, the anointed of God, whom Israel has been waiting for thousands and thousands of years because God had promised them a Messiah to deliver them from their oppression. God has promised them a Messiah to deliver them from their bondage. When this Messiah comes, listen to Israel's response in John chapter 19, verse 15. Listen to how they respond. So they cried out and they said, Away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? Shall I crucify your Messiah? And the chief priests said, We have no king but Caesar. These are the same people that as Jesus entered into, into, entered into Jerusalem on the triumphal entry, they were saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is our Messiah. And now they cry, crucify him. There was indeed a darker day than Gibeah. And it was in Jerusalem on Good Friday when they took the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God in the flesh, and they strung him up on a cross. And they drove nails through his wrists and through his feet. And they put a crown of thorns upon his head. And they killed the Messiah. There was a dark day in Israel's history. But I want us to see what God does with those dark days. Three days later, Mary, some of the other women go to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. And what do they find? They find that the stone has been rolled away and there where Jesus was was an empty tomb 
was grave clothes lying there where Jesus was. And there's an angel saying, Why do you seek the living amongst the dead? Go and tell the disciples that he who was crucified is alive, that he who was killed has been risen from the dead. And they run back and they tell the others. And Peter and John, they leave and they run as fast as they can. And they get to the tomb and they walk in and they find it just as the women had said. And they come out and they begin to spread the news that, that Christ has been risen. And then he appears to the two men on the road to Emmaus. And then he appears to the eleven in the upper room. And then he appears to a multitude. And he says, he says, the Spirit of God is going to come upon you. And you'll receive power when the Spirit of God comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And then he ascends and he says, why do you sit here waiting? Go. Go into all the world. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have committed. Lord, I am with you always, even to the age. And the very darkest hour in Israel's history was, was redefined. It became a time of hope. It became a time of triumph it became a time of victory and that's what god does with tragedy and with despair and with hurt and with pain is he takes it and he redefines it by his grace because that's who he is think back in your life think back through those moments when you had nowhere else to go and you were hurting you were crying you were broken. You cried out to God. What does He do? He sends you brothers and sisters in Christ to pick you up. He sends you His Word, His Holy Spirit to comfort you. God is in the business of redefining tragedy. The cross before Jesus, was a symbol of death. Now, it's a symbol of eternal life. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Paul said this, For the word of the cross, the message of the cross, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. This morning, I believe that there are those who are here, who are in intense despair. Tragedy. You are in Gibeah. You can't get past the shame. You can't get past the hurt. You can't get past the, the, the despair, the tragedy, the hardship in your life. And today, God wants to redefine it. God wants to say, out of despair and tragedy, I am going to bring triumph. That's what he did in 1 Samuel chapter 11. Saul takes his army in there and they completely wipe out the Ammonites. They completely wipe out Nahash and all of his worthless army. And from that day forward, Gibeah was no longer remembered by the place that, 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 that was shameful and the place that was horrendous and, and, and had this very, very, very disgusting and very very gross and, and immoral feel. Now, it was remembered as the place where God delivered Israel from their oppressors. Now it was the place where God brought about salvation to His people, where God brought about deliverance for His people. God wants to re redefine and replace your tragedy with triumph. Maybe this morning, 
God is speaking to your heart. And he said, I want to redefine your tragedy. The scripture tells us that all have sinned. And sin carries the weight of death. Sin carries the penalty of eternal damnation. John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But if you read down Psalm 318, it says, Those who do not believe in the Son, they, they shall not see life. They shall not see life, for they're condemned already. In verse 36, it says, If you do not obey the Son, the wrath of God abides upon you. And for many of us, for many of us, we live under the, the, the condemnation of our own sin. But the good news is that God wants to redefine that for you, and he does so through the person of Jesus. Let's pray. God, you have taken our despair, and you've replaced it with hope. Hope that is not found in us, hope that is not found in our ability, hope that is not found in our religion, hope that is found only in Jesus. There are those here this morning whose life, whose past is haunting them. If that's you this morning, I want to remind you that God takes tragedy and turns it into triumph. God is in the business of taking brokenness and making it beautiful. If this morning, if you're haunted by tragedy, if you're haunted by your past failures, by your past mistakes, God is calling you to come and let Him redefine your past by the cross of Christ. Maybe this morning, you've been so overcome with shame and guilt, you feel that you don't deserve grace. You're right. You don't deserve grace. That's why it's grace. It's God's favor, not based upon our merit, but based upon His goodness. This morning, God wants to redefine your tragedy. He wants to redefine your despair. He wants to do so person and work of Jesus. As we go into this invitation time, will you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart? Maybe you need to come to this altar. Maybe you need to grab someone sitting next to you. Come and pray. Maybe God is telling you that Redeemer is the place where He's calling you to serve. Whatever it is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, may today be the day of obedience. It's in Christ's name we pray.